Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you will find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today. It is great to be with you. We are continuing our look at the book of Mark, and today we are in chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is a very well-known story. This is a story that uh, all of your congregation will know in some capacity um, uh, about the calming of the sea, and I think um, it's one also that that people know because it's it's easy to depict in illustrations. So you tend to see it in children's Bibles. You see it in 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 stained glass windows, etc. So this one, this is one we, we kind of take for granted. So Alan, I'm going to have you jump in and and just start to put this into some context for us in the Book yeah. of Mark. Thanks, Christy. We do have a short passage today, which gives us a chance to dig into some of the details that we might not normally be able to do. And in this episode, it's especially important, I think, to compare Mark's version of the story with Matthew and Luke, not only in terms of the way each evangelist words the account, which is, we have some significant differences there, but also in terms of where the story is situated in the context of the gospel as a whole. And one thing really stands out immediately, only in Mark Mm -hmm. is Jesus' presence in the boat explained. Mm-hmm. That's something that's very important as a detail. Okay. At the beginning of the chapter in Mark 4, 1, we're told that such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So we have this, and, and we all have this image of Jesus mm-hmm. teaching a crowd sitting in a boat, right? right? Because right. That's, that's in the Gospels. A- and Matthew has that setting for his Uh, chapter on parables in Matthew 13, Mm -hmm. but his account of Jesus calming the sea is reported much earlier in Matthew 8. Mm -hmm. So the the idea of Jesus being in the boat already isn't isn't something that's a part of of Matthew's uh, account. Mm -hmm. Same Mm -hmm. thing with uh, with now with Luke. Uh, Luke also reports this episode of the calming of the sea in connection with Jesus' teaching in parables, but he omits the detail about there being such a large crowd that Jesus had to teach from a boat. Mm-hmm. And so it just, you know, they just get into a boat in Luke's gospel. But mm-hmm. Mark makes this connection explicit at the outset of our text. Um, on that day when evening had come, right. he said to them, let us go across to the other side. So it's like this, all of this happened at one time right. on that day, you know, mm-hmm. the day that started with Jesus teaching right. the parables the in the evening boat. came and I, I know he was the only, Mark's the only one also gives us this time of day, this right. evening came. So right. we have this whole, right. this whole space there. Um, so Mark is crafting this as kind of, you know, we've seen this before. Mark sort of has these days of ministry, and this is a day of ministry where mm-hmm. Jesus is teaching uh, uh, the parable of the sower and, and teaching the crowds in parables from a boat, from a boat mm-hmm. sitting on the, on, on the lake. Okay, well, let's, let's continue on. It, it, I guess it, it puts us into a context, but it doesn't still explain Okay, now the next step. Why? Why are we crossing the sea? Right, right. And and we're we're sort of initially left to wonder about that decision because there's no apparent explanation in in this place. And and you know the only place where we see the decision to cross the sea explained is in John six mm-hmm. two. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs he was doing for the sick. 
Now, in, in verse 36, it would seem that this is his motivation here because Mark says that they left mm-hmm. the crowd behind. Now, again, it doesn't say explicitly this was the motivation, but it seems implied at least mm-hmm. that, that Mark says they left the mm-hmm. crowd behind. And, and, if, and again, because Matthew and Luke both have sort of a whole different setting for this, this event, neither Matthew nor Luke mentioned that this was the reason for crossing the, mm-hmm. the sea. They just, mm-hmm. In Matthew and Luke, they're just getting in a boat to go across the sea, which probably happened on a regular basis in the Sea of Galilee, this was, you know, that right. was a means of transport, right? right? Although, you know, and I, I've always wondered, is it is it particularly dangerous to cross the boat in the evening at night when it starts to get dark? I don't know. I, I think, I think, well, one of the things that I've always heard, and, and I, I, I think this is backed up, is that storms on the Sea of Galilee came up just suddenly without any warning. And so it wasn't such a, it wasn't a matter of day or night. It was, oh. it was just mm-hmm. a matter of, you know, that due to the geography of the, you know, the fact that the sea is, is sort of low in a, sort of in a bowl and, and the, the mountains are right next to it and the ocean is not far away. All of that creates sort of the atmospheric conditions for sudden storms to, to come up anytime. This is a, a different question. Do you know how long it would take in this type of boat to get across that sea? That's a good question. Um, you know, they when when I think it says that when they, when Jesus walks on the water, they were about a mile out. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, and and if they're if they're sailing, you know, it might not take long at all. If they're having to row, that might be longer. So that's a good question, and yeah, I'm not sure I'm not exactly sure. to be mm-hmm. honest with you. So let's keep on moving through this story. Um, because uh, tell us a little more like who's in the boat what i mean we, we get a little different space with mark we know there's other boats going along with it so mm-hmm. let's let's yeah. continue this yeah. context well and we begin by um i begin by noting that the english bible tradition has had difficulty translating mark four thirty six. Mm-hmm. um i would say that the new rsv is clumsy at best they took him with them in the boat just as he was and it's it that's just an incredibly clumsy translation. Unfortunately, virtually all of the standard English versions follow, follow some mm-hmm. variation of this translation. And the problem is that there's a phrase in there, hos ain, as mm-hmm. he was, which is really quite redundant and perhaps a bit imprecise in terms of Greek grammar. Now, one feature of the Greek of the New Testament is that like any living language, they don't always follow the rules. And that's especially the case when it comes to um, relative pronouns or or, um, um, words related to place. And, and so it seems here that the, the implication of the text is that the 12 got into the boat where Jesus was already sitting. That seems quite clear. Mm, okay, uh, and, okay. And oh, sure. Okay. So the, the correct phrase would have been hapu ain instead of hos ain. Uh, and, and you see that kind of thing happening all the time in the Greek New Testament. Sure. So um, I, think, I think part of it is that that the Mark's Greek is is imprecise, right? We know that, and for mm-hmm. some reason, you know, the 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 standard English translations have decided to follow along instead of translating what he meant. They translate the literally Got what it. he said, and and better translations either make this correction that that he was already sitting in the boat, and that's 
the Today's English Version or the Good News Translation does that. Oh, sure. Good. And some omit, just simply omit this detail altogether because it's implied by the context. You know, Jesus was in the boat, the disciples get in the boat. And that's the contemporary English version of the New Living Translation. This is so helpful because my mind had gone onto all kinds of places wondering what that meant. So I'm really (laughs) pleased. Well, and this is one of those that, you know, even if I, when I'm doing my own Greek translation, I'm recognizing I I don't know what to do right, with this, right, right? Right. So this is actually really helpful. <laughs> Literally, they, they they took him with them as he was in the in boat. In the boat, yes. And, right. and 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 really, it should say where he was. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's always that. Not only the is the Greek awkward, but. It's, you know, anytime you're translating and trying to stick it in a different language, it's also awkward. So the whole thing, um, that's why I love having my Greek expert here. Well, and this is where, this is where again, one of the things I've, I've really tried to emphasize in, in some of our discussions is you have to look at the function of language and what the, what, how, the, how the language is functioning mm-hmm. and not just translate it word for word. Right. And, and that's a dimension of, of understanding the Greek New Testament that I think has been woefully missing in the education, in seminary educations right. for a long time. I, you know, I wasn't taught that. I had to learn that on my own. Right. And I didn't know too many, I don't know too many people who learned that in their seminary well, Greek class. Well, I don't know. I mean, I can't say that it, it wasn't there. It's just when you're new to a language. I mean, mm-hmm. part of that's in studying other languages, too. Oh, yeah. And as you oh, said, yeah. how language works. And when you're new to a language and you're learning to translate, uh, you recognize it's there, but then you don't necessarily feel that you have the agency and the ability to mm-hmm. decide, okay, so have what actually does yeah. this mean? Have the freedom, right? Yeah. You're still in this <clears throat> awkward space of... Yeah trying to be very literal mm-hmm. in each word and yet you want say to be faithful because this is the bible uh, uh, exactly <laughs> and yet say okay this doesn't work and yeah. all right let's move on what's what what happens now well and i think it's interesting as you mentioned that mark notes that there were other boats with him and i have to confess i've never really noticed that detail before before yeah. preparing for this yeah. uh despite you know jesus apparent intention to leave the crowd behind and it's it's a unique detail it's not found in matthew or luke um, a lot of, you know, there's a, there's a tradition, I, th- I don't know how far it goes back, I think it goes back at least to the Reformation era, but there's a tradition that says that, that you know, all these other boats were sunk in the storm and right. so this was this was to show how how bad the storm was right but mm-hmm. I, to me it's tempting to wonder whether mark wants to set up the story so that there are more witnesses to this unprecedented um nature miracle by jesus well, than just the 12 sure, sure. And, and there are like other there, there are other new testament um um scholars who've who've um who've I, taken that opinion i like that and of course we know from other places that there are other people following jesus mm-hmm. and i of course you know, maybe the women are in the boat. No, I'm having fun with it, but maybe the women are in the boat. Oh, why not? <laughs> why not? Right? Yeah, why not? I, I think the women, uh, you know, we saw that little phrase in in, Math, in Mark's gospel at the end where he just sort of gives the tip of a hat to them. But I think they were much more integrally involved in Jesus' day-to-day ministry I think so too, than, yeah. than we may be aware of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay, so the storm <clears throat> arises. Yeah. I have seen great windstorm, and then I saw a squall. Someone said a squaller or a, a squall. squall. A squall. I didn't know yeah. this word, so I thought, okay. I was like, well, okay. If they're trying to make this accessible English, I'm not sure if a squall. Yeah, is. a squall. No, folks who grew up by the water, hint, hint, <laughs> hint, hint, know what a squall is okay, because okay. a squall is a sudden storm that comes up on the water. 
basically. And um, um, here in Greek, um, you know, a great storm of wind arose, basically. Okay. It's a great storm of wind. And, and the word lilops is only found in the New Testament here and in the parallel with Luke's gospel oh. and one other passage. It's interesting, I think, when you compare Mark's account with Matthew's and Luke's because it demonstrates a feature of the synoptic gospels that occurs commonly. They all narrate the same story, but they do Mm -hmm. so with slightly different words. So Matthew says it was a seismos that came upon the sea. Well, in every other instance but this one, seismos is translated as earthquake. Mm. And so it would seem that the setting, though, dictates the translation windstorm or storm mm-hmm. on the sea. Okay. This was a, this was, and, and notice it's a great storm. I think this is important because we'll see this in another detail later on. Okay, okay. Um, so explain, Mark describes the, the storm to us. So why don't you dig into that? Yeah, so, you know, I think to indicate the fact that this was a really bad storm, mm-hmm. Mark says that the waves were beating on the boat and the boat was already being filled, literally. With water. Or it was already being swamped. Now, mm-hmm. a swamped boat can still float. Float. Uh, if it gets too much, and, it, and if, you know, if you get too much water in a boat, and if you get it overbalanced, it'll right. go straight down. Right. So, so a swamped boat is dangerous. Um, uh, you know, it can sink a lot easier than a, than a boat that's not swamped. Right. So the, I think what we're meant to see is that the danger of sinking was imminent. And they were, they were in the middle of the sea. And so, you know, they're, they're in fear of their lives. These, these, are, right. these are people who many of them made their living on this, on this sea, and they knew the storms on the boat. And as I said earlier, the Sea of Galilee was known for squalls that could break on the sea and make it dangerous for the fishing boats that were used for commerce right. and travel. I, and I assume, I, I'm assuming this is a fishing boat. Obviously, it's holding 13 people right. i guess so it's not tiny it's not like it's a not dinghy tiny. it's not like a mm-hmm. dinghy rowboat or something mm-hmm. like that but it's not 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 a huge commercial you know vessel either right right okay okay so let's let's move on um what what where is jesus in the, in, in the well and, and you know the next verse it says he but he jesus was in the stern asleep on the cushion and i think that this is meant to surprise the reader I really do. Now, both Matthew and Luke also say that Jesus was asleep, but their narratives sort of play that down in their own ways. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the 12 were, you know, Mark has already said that the 12 were battling a storm that threatened all their lives. And then you combine the fact that Jesus was fast asleep in the boat. I think that would strike any reader of the gospel as surprising. Right. Well, and it does me. And so your mind is, hmm. How Isn't can, Jesus help helping? With well, the how could he? How could he even stay asleep in a in a in a in a in a in a in the midst of a storm that's so bad that the that the boat is being filled with water? Mm-hmm, you know, that's mm-hmm. you know, you'd think just the water would be would wake him up. Right. Right. Well. Um, and, and that's the real question is, you know, um, how is it that Jesus is still asleep? Now, a lot of folks see this as evidence of Jesus trust in God or they see this as um, evidence of Jesus sovereign power Jesus is so confident of his ability and his power um, to even you know even over nature that he's not worried about it I, honestly I've always thought that we're meant to see Jesus humanity here mm-hmm. 
Jesus had a full day of teaching and he's worn out and he's right. so tired that, that he, he doesn't, he doesn't wake up even with this violent of a storm. I think we're meant to see Jesus humanity mm, here. Interesting. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the minority here. I don't know that there are a lot of people out there who say that, but I really think that's the case here. Interesting. Huh? Okay. So, uh, what happens next? Well, the, the, the disciples, the 12, aroused Jesus from sleep. And there's really kind of a tone of mild rebuke in the way they wake him up. A teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> you know, so it's yeah, like, you're yeah. like we're, we're, we're dying here. We're trying to keep this boat afloat and you're asleep. You must not care about us, mm-hmm. you know. And I mean, obviously, we've run across places like this before where, where there's some things in the Gospels that it's like, Really? They said that to Jesus? Right. right. <laughs> and even in Matthew and Luke, they both clean up this this question quite a bit. Mm-hmm. In Matthew, Lord, right. notice, Lord, Lord save, save us, us, we are perishing. And in Luke, Master, Master, we are perishing. But, you know, this fits into this this depiction that Mark makes of these disciples is not getting it. Well, it does. And And I also think it's kind of true to life. I mean, you know, we're thinking about, we're talking about men who believe they're about to die. Right. And, and, you know, you don't have this just serene master, master, we are perishing. Yeah. 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 That's (laughs) you're, you're going to be freaked out, you know? And, and so I I kind of like, I kind of prefer Mark's version. I do. I think it's more real. And also I think it brings about the natural doubt, especially here. I mean, that's very human. Yeah. Um, And, and, and we'll find out later, Calvin's going to elevate these guys above these human, human people who are actually really questioning. Uh, if, If you see what he says he is, you know, they should be able to help us, and right. and I, yeah, I think it. I think you're right. It's a more. Human I, I don't response. think they have gotten to that place of understanding there. that he is who he says no. he is. So let's let's keep going on. Well, what happens next really is the crux of the story in all three accounts. Mm-hmm. Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "Peace, be still." Now, the English translation of what Jesus says here obscures the similarity between this and the way in which Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit way back oh, in Mark yeah, 125. Yeah. Uh, here it says, um, be silent and be muzzled. There it just says, be muzzled, you know. But, but it's clear in both places, you know, Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. I want to say I haven't seen this before as an implication that there's something demonic at work in the storm, but many commentators point to the fact that that idea was current in Jewish literature. So that mm-hmm. may be a, something I need to mm-hmm. rethink. And I've seen that um, in that for the church to the church fathers that this mm-hmm. is kind of an understanding that, mm-hmm. and I think. When we look at kind of the mythology of the sea, the yes, danger of the that sea, that mythology that was something that was very current in the ancient Near mm-hmm. East. Yep. So very, uh, some interesting pieces there. Okay, mm-hmm. so moving on. So really, in my view, I guess what I've always seen, and this is one of the reasons why I haven't really focused on the demonic aspect of the storm, what I've always seen, thought is that we're meant to see Jesus' exousia, or his authority mm-hmm. on display sure. here. And I don't think those two ideas are mutually exclusive you know i think they're complementary but in mark's gospel he has already demonstrated his authority to banish an unclean spirit 
He's demonstrated his authority to forgive sins by healing a paralytic. He's demonstrated his authority to heal all kinds of diseases. And here he demonstrates his authority to command the wind and the waves. And once again, this is something only God can do based on the Hebrew Bible. In Psalm 65, 7, you silence the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples. And in Psalm 89, 9, you rule the raging of the mm-hmm. sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So this is something that only God can do. And I, I think, again, you know, even the disciples, you know, we, we've seen before when Jesus, when Jesus exercised this authority, some of the Jewish leaders were skeptical and they right. thought he was blaspheming because right, right. he was assuming what was only God's prerogative. Even the disciples here don't get it, you know, and they don't, I mean, this is, this is like a step too far for them. You know, they can handle, they're amazed at, at, at seeing him cast out demons. They're amazed at seeing him heal a man who is, is crippled from birth. They're, they're just bowled over by Jesus being able yeah. to calm the wind and the waves. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, of course, as with the vast majority of Jesus' other wondrous acts, the, result, the results were immediate. When the, then the wind ceased and there was dead calm, as NRSV mm-hmm. says, literally in the Greek, though, a great calm. And I think perhaps the great calm is meant to match the great storm of wind at the beginning. Oh, so mm-hmm. we start out with a great storm of wind. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and we mm-hmm. have a great calm. Mm, nice. Yeah. yeah, that nice. All right. So um, then Jesus turns to the disciples. Yeah, you know. and it's his turn to rebuke them. Exactly. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith in the new RSV? Now, I'll point out in verse in, in Mark 440, there is a great deal of variation in this oh, phrase in the know. textual okay. tradition. Now, the majority of the Greek manuscripts have, why are you so afraid? How do you not have faith? So that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Why are you afraid? The, the majority have, have, why are you so afraid? Who tos diloi? Mm-hmm. Why are you so afraid? And, and then it, it adds, not in the, you know, the, the critical edition, it's just simply, have you still no faith? It adds, how do you not have faith? Mm-hmm. So it adds the little Greek word pos, how do you not have? Mm. And this is the translation of the King James Version. Okay. So that was the, ver- the the text of the New Testament that was very likely current in the 16th, mm-hmm. you know, in the in the 16th century. Now, some manuscripts have other variants, but the best reading seems to be one the one found in the New Re- Revised Standard Version and it, it's in mm-hmm. the Nestle Alon 28th edition. T diloi este, why are you afraid? Hmm. Upo upo ekete piston, do you not yet have faith? Now, interestingly, and again, this is a, this is a departure from from this is something that's unusual in my in my experience with the synoptic gospels. Typically, as I said earlier, all three gospels report report the same story. The Matthew, Mark, and Luke may word the narrative framework in their own ways, but when it comes to what Jesus says, Jesus' words are reported typically with word for word accuracy. But both Matthew and Luke sort of soften the rebuke. Mm-hmm. In Matthew, it's, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Which mm-hmm. is almost a kind of a tender right. thing. Right, it's tender, right. And in Luke, it's just simply, where, where is, is your it? faith? 
So it's there's no there's there's really not as much of the sort of rebuke going mm-hmm. on. And I think I think we this is part of Mark's setting. The disciples are edgy, you know. Right. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And and so he says to them, "Why are you so afraid? Do you not yet have faith?" Right. And right. of course, the implication is no, they don't. <laughs> right. Well, and I'm just thinking when I when I read it and I, I when I read it in the English, it, my gut feeling was this is feels a little harsh. Mm-hmm. It has yeah. a, it has an edge to it. It does. And so I'm glad that you pointed this out because I wasn't sure if it came across that way in the Greek like this. So this yeah, is really helpful, definitely. I think, and I'm, I'm sure helpful for everyone else that doesn't have the expertise in the language. Um, yeah, it, it does. It has that edginess. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. And, and you know, the, the irony is, in Mark's gospel, the way in which the, the 12 respond to the fact that Jesus commands and the wind and the waves immediately are calm they respond, Mark says, they were filled with great fear. Now, I would say not awe as in the new RSV. <laughs> it's literally, ephabethesan faban megan. They feared a great fear. <laughs> now, this is, this is a construction that's, that's used sometimes in the New Testament where you've got sort yeah, of the right, cognate, right. I've seen the that verb, and, right. the, and, the, and, the, and the noun and the accusative. Yep. But they feared a great fear. Um, you know, typically, and this is the way a lot of the other um, English Bible translations handle it, they feared exceedingly. But the Revised Standard Version, the New Revised Standard Version, and the Common English Bible stick with all as the translation. Um, and in yeah, part, yeah. I think they're trying to uh, distinguish between between um, dilos and fabas. And I think they're making too fine a line here. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I, I don't think that um, we're meant to see that in Mark's gospel. I think in Mark's gospel, we're meant to see that the disciples do not yet have faith because they do not yet understand. Okay. Um, and I would say, as we as we said before, this is a theme in Mark's gospel. Right, it is. That's the whole, kind of the whole point. <laughs> that's the whole picture. Uh, throughout right? you know, throughout Math- Mark, Mark, I mean, that's the yeah, whole picture of the, the disciples is they don't understand and they don't have faith. Well, and I think also where Mark puts this, too, even within, the, within this gospel, right, we, we're kind of at the end of these initial healings and things mm-hmm. as we kind of move to that second part where he's he's gonna to, do some more i think you're right i think it's too it's like jumps too far mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. can't handle they can handle a jesus who can who can cast out demons they can handle a jesus who who can who can heal the sick they can't handle a jesus who can calm, calm the, the winds water. and the well, waves exactly yeah. but you know they they've seen healers before not right. as good as jesus but we've right. seen that that Right. That is contextually something they can process. That was part of their their world. Right. Yeah. But this, mm-mm. <laughs> and, and you know, and one thing I would point out is that you know, um, at one point in connection with the feeding of the five thousand, uh, G- Mark says that the disciples didn't understand about the loaves for their hearts 
were hardened. Yes, yes. Which to me is perhaps the harshest evaluation of the disciples in the whole gospel tradition. Not just Mark's gospel, but the whole gospel tradition. Oh, yeah. Their hearts were hardened. That That's language in the Bible for people who have turned their back on God. Mm-hmm. That's very harsh language. It, it is. And so, yeah. again, you know, I think we're meant to see. I think I think Mark is Mark's phrasing it. I don't think he's saying they were filled with great awe. I think they were saying, Mark was saying, they were filled with great, great fear, fear because they didn't understand who yeah. is this man that he can command the wind and the waves yeah, and they obey yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, Alan. I think that's a good analysis. And, and again, Matthew and Luke soften it. Matthew says they were amazed Thalmasan, which is Thalmazo, we've seen that before. Mm-hmm. That's sort of mm-hmm. the typical response of people to Jesus' wonders. Uh, Luke says they were afraid and amazed. Right. <laughs> so he combines, he seems he to combine it, Mark right. and Matthew, but it still kind of softens it a but bit. But it softens this, and it fits into the context of Luke. And, well, and, and, and here, you know, there is an edge when it comes to edge. the disciples mm-hmm. and their lack of faith. Right, right. And, and you know, for, for founders of the faith who are going to be saints and apostles, you know, of the church, you know, this is a potentially embarrassing, really, that, that they, they yeah. can't, they, they just don't get it. But I, I love this for someone who themselves is coming to scripture, trying to find, do I believe? And mm-hmm. seeing the hum, humanness yes. also, not only of Jesus, but of the disciples yes. allows you to step into this space with your own doubt. With your own questions. And, and, and yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. So actually, I think that was intentional on Mark's I, part. I think, oh, I think, I think Mark is very intentional about a lot of the things that he does. And yeah. I think what's interesting, as you've pointed out, sometimes his, his Greek is not as sophisticated, but I think as a as a writer and overall conceptualizer, he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think, I uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I you know, as we, as more I study Mark, the more I am intrigued. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, okay, keep so going. So again, they do respond by simply asking a question. Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mm-hmm. And again, I think their response presupposes that only God has that authority. And that's mm-hmm. biblical teaching. You know, only God has the power to calm the wind and the waves. Even though they've seen Jesus' deeds of authority up to this point, they still don't understand that he is the Son of Man who has this authority from God. And they still don't, they still don't understand that what Jesus is doing is not, it is about him, but it's also about the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. That all of these wondrous acts from from um, casting out the demon to uh, forgiving the man's sins and healing the paralytic to demonstrate that, all of these things are demonstrations of the presence and power of the kingdom of God. And mm-hmm. so it's ultimately a demonstration of God's power. Mm-hmm. But they just they don't make that connection. They don't make that connection no, at all. No, they don't. They don't. And, and I think this is partly why they still, they still don't have faith. You know, as, as we've seen before in Mark's gospel, Mark frames it that the understanding and faith that Jesus is the one who is the son of man who has this authority from God and he is manifesting God's kingdom and God's power, that can only come to someone in light of the cross. Right. So what's the point of this? Is well, this, is, 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 with, with all due respect to Tertullian and a whole host of church leaders throughout the centuries up to this day who say that the point of this passage is that Jesus 
calms the, the storms storm. of life. Mm-hmm. The point of this episode is the question, who is Jesus? That's the point. Mm-hmm. He is so fully human that he could stay fast asleep from exhaustion on a boat that was in danger of sinking. Mm-hmm. But he also acts with the authority that only God has. He can command the wind mm-hmm. and the waves, mm-hmm. and they obey him. This makes, a, this makes sense to me because this is the kind of the purpose of Mark's gospel. Yes. But when you take, at least when I look at reformers and, 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 and church fathers, they tend to get so far into the weeds um, that they forget to look at the, the broader context of, of the scripture. And um, it's, it's sad. And, you know, I mean, I've been teaching on this passage for probably 25 years. And every time I've taught this passage, you know, I, I have to confront this, this tradition. Because, like I said, it began with Tertullian. In the third century, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, he was the one who, who envisioned the church as the ship of faith, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's threatened by the seas around it. And, you know, even today, I mean, the, the symbol of, of the World Council of Churches is the, the ship at sea, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just worked its way into the Christian imagination so thoroughly that everybody re- approaches this passage and assumes, well, this means, this is the story about how Jesus calms the storms of our lives. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not the point of the passage. Mm-mm. And, I, no. and, and uh, of course, no surprise, our reformers are going to be right in that same space. So yeah. they're not going to offer anything particularly new. This yeah. is yeah. Mark 1.1. One, one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it totally makes sense of what Mark's purpose is. And I would say that at least my experience of Mark is he's, he's consistent. I think there's a tendency to, to overlook Mark's organizing process and mm-hmm. to think that, oh, it's just a story he's telling. You take it out of context. You're taking it yeah. out of the context, yeah. and Mark's gospel is so deep when you finally understand mm-hmm. it in context. So I'm in 100% agreement, and yet I'm, 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 yet I'm kind of awakened, if you will, to some of the nuances that you've pulled out today for sure. us. Sure. Well, yeah. and you know, obviously, it's true that Jesus gives us peace in the midst of the difficulties of life. And that's perhaps a legitimate, although secondary application. I think okay. It's a secondary application of this text. But there are some theological implications to the way this that that application has been developed that are problematic. And we can talk about that. We'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Friends, we're back, and we're going to let Christy uh, walk us through the way in which the uh, Reformers uh, dealt with this passage, and I'm sure that, that they're going to have a very different take on it from what I, what I had, because I'm sure they were influenced by the tradition of the church, so let's, let's see what, uh, what Christy has to say. Well, hi, Alan. Thank you. I feel like a broken record, of course, because the problem is, is that <laughs> we don't look at Mark as a separate scripture, but we just kind of mash it together. So mm-hmm. these nuances that we pointed out and this edginess to Mark is really not how they looked at it. And mm-hmm. so what happens is 
you don't see that context of Mark. You don't see the edginess, and you certainly don't pick up on this idea um, that this is about Jesus. They're, and they're Jesus just identity. dealing more with the episode of Jesus calming the storm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of hard to make this. Oh, they they're just in a different space with mm-hmm. their uh, with their exegesis, and that's that's well, okay. And, and you know, unfortunately, there are some people who are still in that space because it's all about you know that the Bible has to say the same thing everywhere. Uh, yes, exactly. So. Um, nonetheless, I did pull out a couple themes that I saw, and I think the main issue for them was fear, and what is fear in context with faith? Mm. Um, and what, one of the big questions put forth by Heinrich Bollinger was, is fear a sin? Yeah. And so when these disciples came up and rebuked Jesus and had fear, he says, "Yeah, this is this is definitely a, a sin." I mean, really? this is, yeah, which is kind of an interesting context, but not necessarily, uh, but something that's normal. And it was kind of like this fear kept in check can help you with your faith. It kind of makes you behave. Interesting. <laughs> so it's like they're it's like they're getting having it both ways. Fear as a human emotion can help you with faith, but if 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 it prevents you from having faith, that's a sin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, and so it can go. So too far. Where's the where's the line you can, cross? Well, <laughs> That's what a, I want to know. A little bit of fear can keep you in check from doing things right. with your body that right. you know right. you shouldn't be doing. Right. Um, but 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 too much fear then make is is evidence that you don't trust. So Christ. again, again, my question is, where's the line? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In fact, I would think they would think this is part of that, that, that they went too far beyond it. I actually sent this to to, um, um, to Alan ahead of time because Calvin says, look, in Mark, he, he talks about because when they fear makes them timid, mm-hmm. that's where the problem is. And he re- reflects on a specific uh, Greek word. And, and I'm going to let Alan jump in. Hutos. Hutos. Yeah. Why are you? Hutos dialoi. And and it, he's Calvin is Calvin is reflecting that one of those variants that I mentioned, yeah. that first one that was the basis for the King James. Why are you so afraid? How do you, how right. do you not have faith? Right, yeah. and that it's this. And so it's when fear takes you to being timid and not then acting out your faith, but actually withdrawing. Well, the thought the thought occurs to me. Perhaps the line for them relates to faith as assent. Right, faith as a sense yes, to yes. the I, the understanding of who Jesus is. Right, I, I can I think that's a fair a, a fair analysis. I didn't see that specifically mm-hmm. articulated that right. way, but I think that's a fair analysis. I do think um, you know as we talk about this um, in terms of 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 Calvin um, that Calvin seems to a, a couple things with him. First of all, he he does never buy that the disciples would be people that don't really have faith. Mm-hmm. He he, as I mentioned earlier, he kind of excuses them. He says, "Well, actually, um, there's a separation here, and the apostles, and there would be other people looking on. Thus, the other boats. Yeah, the people in the other boats. They quest- were the ones who were yeah, afraid. Yeah, that would have been afraid. <laughs> that would have been questioning it. So he kind wow. of keeps intact the idea that." Um, the disciples would be tr- true to faith. Now, we've mm. already talked about mm. that in, in our earlier discussion, that this is kind of a good thing. Um, 
Well, it, and I guess I guess you can say, you know, nobody can accuse Calvin of not having an imagination. <laughs> right. Well, I did see a tendency to start, you know, with this, put all these, they desire to put more into the text than mm. is actually there. They start mm. adding things. Well, why is Jesus doing this? And why is Jesus doing that? And Well, and uh, just the notion that the apostles mm-hmm. could not have had could not have lacked faith entirely, which is what Mark's narrative seems to suggest. Exactly. You know, that that can't be so. So we have to, we have to reinterpret this to preserve their faith. But you have to remember Calvin's context is going to be, and and when, (laughs) when that, that these are, these are the, chosen that mm-hmm. these people are predestined right. so these people can't be without faith right. <laughs> you know you have, in that in the context of um of the elect yeah right so yeah. it's a very dicey place for him in terms yeah. of his theology to to go somewhere in fact i don't think it occurs to him to go somewhere else it's like oh well the those who are chosen who are gods can't can't be in that space of not believing but, it, unbelief yeah right well and he you know he hasn't quite gotten to the place where carl bart got because bart very much follows the 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 concept of election and very mm-hmm. much embraces that but bart has has room for people who are elect who don't know it yet and who don't have it come to faith right but these are the disciples, right? <laughs> right. These are not just the disciples. They're the apostles. apostles. Exactly. Saint Peter, exactly. St. Matthew, exactly. St. Yeah. Mark, St. Luke, or St. You know, St. John, right. St. James. Right. Right? They're, not, they're not just any old well, disciples. You know, and as, as I'm processing this, as we're thinking about it, it reminds you that Calvin and Luther and all these folks came out of a time um, when they grew up in churches where these people are venerated, mm-hmm. you know, where there's, and, and so even to, even to give them a human status, still they, yeah. they grew up in this the space of we prayed to these people when I was growing up. Right. So, you know, I think that's a big, big jump to take right. them all the way to being right. just average dudes. Right. <laughs> right. 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 People who could, who could respond to something astounding that Jesus does in, in fear rather than faith. Right. People right. Who, who could misunderstand Jesus so badly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So another, another um, theme is that there's, this is, a test of faith, mm. um, and that, that, that and so that God brought about this to test the dis, the disciples, mm. um, and uh, I think interesting with Calvin is there was an expectation that the sleeping Jesus would save them, but with, and he said, and while people were are criticizing of you don't have any faith, he's like, but they. They did have a faith that even when he wakes up, he's going to save them. So it's oh, just like, really? hey, wake you up. You're going to save us. Huh. Um, so it's kind of. A, so he assumes that they wake him up because they believe that Jesus yeah, has the power to save yeah. them. Yeah. So it's kind of an mm. interesting space um, to think of little faith, but rather that, that they wake him up because he'll be able to save them. Interesting. So, yeah, I thought that was it. And, 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 and Johannes Spangenberg also uh, also had some commentary on this. He said the same thing. Um, remember, he's a German uh, reformer. Um, the, 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 so it's two things then. We have this, there was fear and it was also a test. Interesting. Um, probably the most interesting person I ran into, um, and I'm, I'm looking at the Reformation commentaries, was an Anglican um Puritan, uh, John Boyce. He's a little later. This would he would have been um, preaching. He was a dean of Canterbury, mm. in right right at the turn of the century. So 
right during Elizabeth's reign after Elizabeth died. And of course, um, then when we, when we see the ascension of, um, James, James. Mm -hmm. so, um, he, he goes back into great metaphor with his stuff. And so he looks at the sea as the metaphor for the wicked, um, and the storm, which is raised by God's providence, um, show, and, 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 and really is going into this, um, idea that um, the miracle of Jesus was was great in order to conquer what was the vast sin. And, of course, the sea illustrates sin. Mm. Well, and, and, you know, just thinking about this, this reminds me of this whole theme, starting with Tertullian, mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. you know, the church is this ship that's adrift in this world that's, a, that's depicted yep. as a stormy sea that threatens them. Yeah, exactly. And this is this is kind of the stuff he goes to. I did not see that metaphorical take as much, to be honest, with, I mean, they tended to pull some of that off, but they didn't go to this place where, where, where you offered, where mm-hmm. this is an explanation of Jesus is. It was, it, But it was stripped from some of the things like that Boyce got into and some of the things that we'll talk about here in a little bit as we start talking about metaphor. I looked a little into the fathers. Um, but before we head there, um, I also want to head a little bit to uh, Martin Luther. Um, and I just, I happen to notice he used a woodcut of the ship to illustrate his New Testament. Not particularly bizarre. This was well known. It was well used. Um, but nonetheless, he put it in with the Mark passage, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Um, I suppose we probably shouldn't draw too much into it in that they used all kinds of, of woodcuts throughout mm-hmm. to try to illustrate. But it does remind me of a time when he is, again, pulling this this out to help people. I mean, people are buying this text and they can't read it yet, even though it's in German. Right. Um, we know that we're still in this, this, this transition between a, an oral culture and a literate culture. And so a lot of people are looking at images for messages. So he's incorporating a lot of this into his New Testament. And so this is one of the earliest woodcuts that, that he has incorporated into his New Testament. Um, so it's clearly a story people are familiar with. And, and particularly when Jesus wrote this, I mean, you could even tie it to, you know, this period in the Wartburg Castle. When, when Luther wrote mm-hmm. it? Because he wrote the New Testament while he was um, hiding at the uh, Wartburg that's Castle. Right. And we forget sometimes about simply the fear that brought him to that space, the, yeah. the idea that they want me dead. He had to flee for his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the letters at the time that he writes really show this this lack of worth and this this fear himself that he had. Self-doubt, perhaps. Self-doubt, mm-hmm. worthlessness, um, mm-hmm. not not following the call that, that God sent him to, a whole transition from... Luther the monk to what am I now? Mm-hmm. Um, and and he didn't immediately jump out and you know as as we might have depicted in in simpler histories. And then he set out to protest and change right. the church. No, I mean this was a huge physical and mental. Um, well, we have the image of him nailing his ninety five theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and you know, being this bold reformer who never looks back. And right. you know, it's uh, his his life his life story was kind of up and down. Right. And so this is a person greatly distressed, mm-hmm. th- who finally finds his calling at the Wartburg in writing and and translating the New Testament. Um, 
but what's fascinating about that then to think of how that fits into the context of this passage, this idea of I'm in the, the deep murky waters of, mm-hmm. of hell and um, but but Jesus is there guiding this ship. Yeah. So his own life fits into the metaphor, hmm. if you will. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I thought kind of fascinating. And of course it's I think it's that metaphor that 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 comes through as we talk about Tertullian and we see it with them and all through the middle ages, right? They, they, they well, have and that. As I mentioned, even today, it's still there. And even today with the sea as being a place where of danger, where, where you, and, and probably fit into the context of just being a fisherman. I mean, it's a very dangerous mm. job. It is. Um, even still, it's terrifying. Mm. These boats could easily be lost. So it's yeah. a dangerous job. And on the sea, you don't know what lurks at the sea. Um, the fear of the sea, of course, the, the lore of the sea, right? And we see in there even, you know, this sense that that's evil is there. And then you have the boat, um, which they often identify as the church. Of course. You know, yeah. um, and then, of course, then Jesus uh, being able to to lead the boat. And um, so all those pieces come in um, throughout the Middle Ages. And I think important only for our, our reformers and that that's kind of the tradition they come from. So that they begin to come out of it a little bit. Um, I think they're thinking a little bit more in about the disciples in terms of their faith, I think is a step um, towards a maybe a, a, a different way to look at the passage mm-hmm. a little bit. But... Um, they're still very much going to be impacted by that. Sure. So, sure. Right. So, right. yeah. Well, let's come back in a little bit and talk about this metaphor and some of the implications of its theology. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Hi, everybody. We are back, and we are excited to really look into the theological implications of this kind of contemporary traditional view of Jesus, you know, being at the helm of the boat and calming the seas. And um, so I'm going to turn this over to Alan. He's going to share a little bit about a, a quote from uh, someone who kind of puts this in a context for us. Yeah. And, and thanks, Christy. And, and I'm, I'm reading here from David E. Garland's, uh, it's the new, NI, it's the NIV application commentary on Mark. Uh, it's an interesting approach in that every, every passage has the original meaning where they kind of go into exegesis, and then they have what they call bridging contexts where they kind of look at sort of the hermeneutical process, really, in general, and how do you, how do you interpret this passage. And then they come to the place of uh, contemporary significance and, and so dealing with application. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit that a number of these that I saw did it really poorly. David Garland does it well, thoughtfully. It's almost, a, a, you know, I, I've read this commentary in, in preparation for teaching this class, and it's, it's, almost, it's almost worth reading it to, to think more deeply about the process of Bible interpretation mm-hmm. in and of itself, not just, you know, for an understanding of Mark's gospel. So... Given that introduction, um, on page 200, um, Garland says this about the, the calming of the storm. The miracle of the storm does not teach us how to endure adversity patiently, 
because Jesus immediately eliminates the problem. The emphasis in this story is on who Jesus is, not on how he rescues fretful disciples from danger whenever they cry out to him. One cannot expect a miraculous intervention that will calm all the storms in life. Storms are a part of life from which no one escapes. And I think that is that that statement reflects a great deal of theological depth. Yeah. Because this is one of the problems I have with with taking this passage and using it to say Jesus calms the storms of life. Mm-hmm. Because the question then comes up, what happens when he doesn't? Right, right. Because we all, if, if we've had enough life experience, we know there are some storms that Jesus doesn't calm for well, us. Well, the logical ex. You know, explanation for that is well. Obviously, you don't have enough faith. Obviously, you obviously. don't have enough faith. There's something wrong. There's something with you. wrong. And and I dealing with with some folks that take this theological approach. Their idea is well. What well then? What's your lack of faith? I don't know. I'm there must be something lurking in my background. Yeah. Somebody did something wrong that I des- deserved this fate. And to me, that theology is. I would just call it bad theology. It's bad theology. That's bad we theology. We can say that. To, 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 to say that if Jesus doesn't calm a particular storm in your life, it's because you, have, you lack faith. Mm-hmm. That's bad theology. And it's abusive. It's harmful to people. And it's wrong. It, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, so then how do we deal with this passage in a way that um, addresses this issue um, from a more balanced, from a more healthy theological perspective. I agree. And I want to pull out uh, one more side of this that I have also seen is, well, Jesus says he can do these things he obviously can't, and therefore he doesn't exist. I mean, I, it doesn't really. really... Yeah, I mean, I've heard this kind of from the other point yeah. of view, um, kind of people saying, well, obviously Jesus didn't care for me, and therefore... Right. This Jesus isn't who Jesus said. The theodicy question. Yes. You know. So you get it. You know, I I think that is a similar yes, it take is. on it, but yet a different take from, from the, the other side world. of the coin. From, right. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you, from the one side of the coin, you got a person who's a believer and they're experiencing some sort of hardship, and and Jesus isn't calming the storm, and they're wondering why, and someone tells them it's you lack faith. On the other hand, you've got someone who who perhaps for whatever reason, stumbles at faith. Right. And they use this kind of experience as, as demonstration. See, I shouldn't believe because, yeah. you know, the Bible promises something that it, it yes. doesn't come true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you no, said that I, I very that. well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I think it goes back, and again, Garland says the focus is on Jesus. Right. So I think that's where we start. Who is Jesus? And and what does Jesus do in the gospel in gospel Mark's gospel? Mm-hmm. Well, he, Jesus is the Son of Man who acts with the authority that God has given to him to demonstrate the presence of the kingdom of God and to bring that kingdom in all of its power into into people's lives. But we recognize that. Okay, the kingdom is a present reality in our lives, mm-hmm. but it's not fulfilled completely yet. 
And so it's, it's still um, um, one of, I think it's the study catechism says that we see scattered and broken signs of the kingdom now, mm-hmm. but we do see the signs. And, and it, it, you know, so we don't consistently see Jesus calming the storms in our lives, mm-hmm. but we, Jesus is still the one who has the authority to, to if you will, um, enact the power of God, right. enact right. the kingdom of God right. in our lives. Why does he, he apparently do that sometimes and he does not do it other times? That is the mystery of theodicy that no one can answer. Right, right. No one can answer that question. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But I, I think if we can focus on who Jesus is, so Jesus is this one who has the authority to act in in people's lives in a redemptive way. You know, I guess for me, the question of what happens when he doesn't, I've always thought of that as that's not for me to know. I, right. I don't I don't have the capacity to understand and I don't know. I've always I've always sort of likened it to Job, you know, Job Job goes through all this right. suffering. He's righteous. Exactly. God says he's righteous. And and Job insists he's righteous. And his friend says, no, you must have sinned. There you must be something sinned. wrong with yep. you, right? Yep. And and finally, in the end, Job is confronted with God. And, and God's answer to Job is, Job, you come to me and you ask me why. And God's answer to Job is, where were you when I founded the earth, basically? Exactly, yep. And he's, I, think what he, I think what he's basically saying to Job, and you know, Job then says, I repent in dust and ashes because I have, I have spoken things that are beyond my understanding. Right. And I think the point of all that is, you know, Job says why, and God's answer is, Job, you don't even understand the question. How can you even begin to understand the answer? Right. Now, I'm borrowing that from Philip Yancey's disappointment with God, by the mm-hmm. way. That's the take that Yancey takes. Right. Well, and I keep thinking, too, is... <laughs> How are are we so full of ourselves that we define? I mean, <laughs> that we we define what what is good and bad, and I mean, just my life is the center, the focus exactly, of God's kingdom. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and I that's that's part of it too. You know, we we talk about witness to the resurrection when people die, and yet our concept is always death is the end even though we know better as christians Mm -hmm. we think of it that way we process it that way and and instead of you know why now and i I liked how this i liked how this this fellow said uh you know we get a ticket here we get a ticket home and sometimes that ticket's not on our 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 time frame so we tend to look at that as that evil in terms Mm. of my person's taken away this happened to me or or i had this this happened, you know, I lost my, my house and I, I burned my face and all these things. And so this is, this is bad stuff that happened to me. I mean, who are we to define that? Right. 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 Um, right. In terms of what happens when the bad happens, but then what is the, what is the miraculous growing of faith and the joy and hope that comes out of that? You know. Yeah. Oh, and that's essentially Yancey's approach in Disappointment with God is that part of our problem when we come at these kind of questions of, you know, um, what's wrong that Jesus didn't calm this storm in my life? 
we're making ourselves sort of the measuring point mm-hmm. for God and for, for God's kingdom and for what God is doing in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And, and that really, really gets things out of perspective because, because what God is doing in this world is, is, is far beyond my life. Exactly. And it is, it, but it is also beyond my ability to understand and so that's where the faith comes in. Exactly. You know, I yeah. yes. entrust myself. I entrust, and here, here I'm talking about faith as, as trust, as opposed to faith as assent mm-hmm. of, of of who Jesus is. Perhaps I'm entrusting my life into the hands of Jesus. I'm entrusting my mm-hmm. life into the hands of God. Um, you know me well enough to know that I've had some pretty big hits in my life mm-hmm. that still, still sometimes uh, I struggle with, even to this day. And my response to that is not to say, God, this is your fault. Right. I mean, there are sometimes I must confess, well, I'll say, God, how much of this stuff can one person handle? Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but I think that's a different kind of question than why didn't you yeah. rescue why me? Why didn't you rescue me? Why didn't you rescue me? But that's your interpretation of what that would be too, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, right. it's still. And so for me, I think it comes down to do we, do we entrust our lives to God enough to be able to take the good and the bad? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to me, I think that that's where faith really kind of where the rubber meets the road yeah, is that, you know, um, um, we trust that Jesus is working in our lives for our salvation. We trust that God is working in our lives for good, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what we may have to go through. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I, I that that's a theology that I think works and and as we connect it back to this passage, mm-hmm. you know, it, it connects with who is who Jesus. Is Jesus, exactly. That's what I was thinking when you said that is who is Jesus, and uh, yeah, that's a very different focus mm-hmm. too. Right. And it's it not about it, me. It's it takes about it Jesus. Off of me. <laughs> yeah. But I can see, I can see how we get there with our our current individualism. Our, our in today's to society, we're we're more than more than most. It's so individually oriented that that mm-hmm. I think we really struggle, and I think part of the the beautifulness of this um, is is uh, the 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 broader the inclusive mm. nature of it, right. if you will, right? right? Um, uh, <laughs> that that uh, yeah, in knowing who Jesus is, is it, that Jesus came for all of us. Well, and, and we're, we're part yeah. of the body of Christ yes. that is bigger than us. Exactly. We're part of the kingdom of God that is bigger than us. What God is doing in this world is bigger than me. Exactly. And again, this is part of, this is part of Yancey's take on it is that, you know, even the hardships that we have to endure in this life, we may not know what's at stake there. We may not know whether there is some significant, redemptive right. value exactly. that is going to come exactly. out of that either in within our lives or right. maybe down the road. Right. We don't know what's at stake there. Exactly. I mean, you know, it could take extreme examples. Bonhoeffer comes to mind, right? I mean, exactly. talk about a life of sacrifice. Talk about someone who could really complain, you know, and he sat there in prison of why me? Um, but look at 
look at what his his ministry and and his ministry after his imprisonment was probably more profound than it was before uh, yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and and his death well and i think interesting space i think of i think of there some of my favorite heroes of the faith some Mm -hmm. of my favorite authors are people who have endured great pain in their lives and as a result they have been able to write some of the most beautiful Mm -hmm. spiritually inspiring Mm -hmm. literature that i've ever read well we're both fans of henry nowen yes indeed his parker palmer you know, I, I I will not uh, assume to put myself on a, on the same spiritual level with Henry Nowen or Parker no. Palmer, but I I hope that the things this is part of my trust is that I hope that the things that I've had to endure in life that have not been pleasant, uh, the times when I wasn't rescued, uh, have either shaped me that I might be a more faithful disciple of Christ. Or God has been able to use them redemptively in some way, or both. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this comes back to my faith in the kingdom of God. And it comes back to my faith that Jesus is the one who truly had the authority to bring that kingdom in his ministry, and he continues to be the, the one who is the head of the church, and he continues to be the one who has the authority to, to uh, affect the, the kingdom in our lives yeah. today. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect ending space alan i think um i think that's beautiful and i think it gives us a really good way to understand this passage yeah thanks christy thank you that's our podcast for today if you heard something that was helpful to you please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us it's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of christ We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.